podcast name played nobody fancy new york edition i'm in a um i'm in a padded room which is finally really everything i've ever strived for bill uh, i'm in new york city right now working on some project x stuff that's why we didn't have the show out on wednesday you are still in missouri um yes. i have reserved some time in a fancy podcasting recording room i'm looking around it's kind of creepy uh Courtesy of uh, Shot Down Full Cast, Ryan Nanny, and um, we're going to get an abbreviated episode out um, from fancy New York City. Yeah, we can't even take full advantage of you being in a fancy studio because I had parent-teacher conferences this morning, and you've got Project X. But we've got a 45-minute slot here, and we're just going to bang it Guess up. Hey, guess what um, I brought into the fancy studio? Uh-oh. What's that? Food and beverage. Wow. This I didn't even they, stop. I ran straight. This is why downstairs. the rednecks should normally stay in Tennessee. <laughs> I, I ran straight downstairs from parent-teacher conferences and just loaded up. I've got a little bit of water. I'm going to sound terrible, but let's go. All right. So, combination here of um, the back end of the Sun Belt, or I guess the front end of the Sun Belt, when you start talking about the uh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, the, the Georgia Southerns and the ULLs of the world. So, we're going to do the front end of the Sun Belt today. We're going to talk a little bit about. Um, the conference as a whole, you can you can bridge us into the next conference on our merry journey, and then also we'll t- we'll get uh, we had a pretty healthy amount of Ask PAPN kind of littered. Uh, yeah, and the I week. actually I actually came up with two Ask PAPN questions of my own, and I get to cut in line. You want to do that now? Uh, no. Well, let's. Okay, sure. Um, no, 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 no. Let's let's stay on task. Let's do the Sun Belt. Let's give the the uh, the upper end of the Sun Belt the, the you know the attention it deserves, and then we'll go. One from thing there. we have to do before that is uh, remind you that this is podcast ain't play nobody. It's a college football marriage of numbers and words. My name is Stephen Godfrey. You can reach me at thirty eight Godfrey. That is the robot Bill Connolly. He's the inventor of the S and P Plus analytics system. He's also the um, one of the proprietors of College Football Study Hall. He wrote multiple books, of which you can find on Amazon. You can reach him online at SBN underscore Bill C on Twitter. See, didn't forget the show intro. As crazy and rushed as we are right now, at least I got this in on this episode. Fancy recording studio taking in this trash. Um, we left off with South Alabama. We, we had done the first three. So I had done um, Georgia Southern, Texas State, and Louisiana Lafayette. Um, the next, since then, since we last spoke, I previewed Coastal Carolina, UL Monroe, South Alabama, Georgia State, Troy, and Arkansas State. Um, I have set up, the, so tomorrow's Appalachian State, and then the, the Sun Belt Power Rankings probably like Monday morning or something. Um, and I've been kind of structuring those power rankings cause I'm just always kind of curious, like, what do I think now that I've started to write about these teams? What do I think? Um, my original thought last week was that like each of the bottom, basically seven teams in the conference, mo- almost all of them are, are probably due to improve a little bit. And, uh, I could list off some players that Troy, Arkansas state and Appalachian state lost. And so I was thinking, man, this will be kind of a, a parody kind of deal. The top teams will fall back towards the middle. The bottom teams will rise. We'll have a nice, uh, a nice healthy battle Royal. I don't really see it that way now. Um, Troy's going to be very good. Arkansas State's going to be very good. Spoiler for tomorrow, Appalachian State, if they have a quarterback, probably going to be pretty good. Um, and, And so maybe this is a conference that does, there's a little bit of tightening. Maybe Troy and Arkansas State this year are only like good for Sun Belt, not like top 30 caliber S and P good. But uh, I think we still have the same power structure in, in place. And I think that Arkansas State and Troy are still a couple of steps ahead of those other teams. <clears throat> so to really quickly roll through, Coastal Carolina, um, 
damn near made like reached bowl eligibility last year, uh, despite being a first year FBS program, despite not having Joe Moglia who sat out the year with like a lung infection, basically, uh, they lost 30, 23 to UAB 51, 43 to ULM 27, 21 to Georgia state 37, 29 at Appalachian state 39 to 38 at Arkansas. Uh, they had five, one possession wins. Uh, if they win three of those, if they go three and two instead of oh and five, they're, they're, they're six and six for the year. So there are still a little ways away there but really not that far away. Um, a decent amount returning, <clears throat> returning, excuse me. Every, everybody in this conference seems to have like a standout receiver. There's his Malcolm Williams uh, defense, probably still not quite all put together just yet, but uh, they are, they have built and, and now they get their coach back. And this is a, one of many, many teams that will be kind of fighting it out for six or seven wins this year. Joe Moglia. Um, everybody always wants to talk about his unique backstory, but I think it's kind of sad that the lung infection sideline kind of pretty much cemented the fact that like the guy is what, almost 70 years old. He's 68 years old. Right. Um, I don't know if he'll get hired for another job bigger than this one as head coach. Yeah. Yeah. And that's fine. I mean, if he, if he stays, if he can stay there three, four years, uh, make a couple bowls, that's a nice capper. Obviously if he's still would, pretty uh, amazing, you know, right? When around, you think about everything. Right. I mean, if he would circle back around after making his millions a little sooner then things play out, maybe a little bit differently, but it's still fascinating for those who, well, haven't listened to this show about a year ago when we were talking about them last time, uh, Joe Moglia, uh, it was like Dartmouth's offensive coordinator in the early 1980s um, and decides, you know what? I'm not sure football coaching is for me. I'm going to go make a million or billions of dollars uh, started in, I think, uh, at Merrill Lynch, ended up being the CEO of TD Ameritrade. Uh, and then at some point after making his millions or billions or whatever, he circles back and decides, you know what? I kind of miss coaching. And so with millions of dollars in the bank, he goes and volunteers uh, to coach at Nebraska for a couple of years under, under uh, Bo Pelini. <clears throat> he spends a year as the Omaha Nighthawks coach of the whatever FL that is uh, in 2011. <clears throat> and then in 2012, he takes over at Coastal Carolina. Immediately goes eight and five, 12 and three, 12 and two out of the gates goes wins 19 more games. Then make the jump to FBS. And he sits out the first year with a lung infection, uh, but it was given a full Man, slate, full slate of health and all that uh, in January. It really was. I mean, it was kind of this story, uh, like the, the chapters involved here were all awesome. And then he kind of has to sit, uh, sit out the I big mean, look, moment, if, but regardless, he's got a really if, talented If he team, ends his talented. career at coastal Carolina and let's say, what do you say he could do in the next two to three years? Like cap at a nine win season, a ten win season, maybe. Like, I mean, all things yeah, breaking say, right. Right. I mean, if all things break right, yeah, nobody's that much more talented than anybody else there. They could probably get to eight, nine, ten I wins. I, just, um, I would. Uh, eight would be enough. I don't for see me. a seventy-one year old, to, you know, Sunbelt coach suddenly becoming a commodity. Right. Sucks, but it's the truth. But still, a really cool story because I mean, it's not like, you know, the guy still completely changed changed the course of his career very late in life and did something. I mean. By the way, 10, but 10 wins in the Sun Belt, still a big deal, right? Oh, yeah. Um, For someone who wasn't coaching at all 10 years ago. Right. No, I mean, it's still a cool story no matter what. The fact that he went back to coaching at all, even if he was st- like still a, a volunteer assistant at Nebraska after 10 years, just the fact that he decided to circle back and do that it would be a cool story. But he's actually succeeded to whatever level. He, he convinced Coastal Carolina to give him a job when you know he'd barely been in coaching for the last 30 years, uh, and, and he's done a very good job of it. Next, 
next. Uh, what was next? Uh, ULM was next. And by the way, I also, since we last talked, I released uh, the official early S&P Plus projections. Um, but I've already, <clears throat> I've already done all my talking about that on Feinbaum, so we don't have to <clears throat> go into detail on that here. Um, How was that? Let's just stop the show and talk about it for a second. <laughs> it was fine. He's, he's nice. I mean, I've always, whatever problems I have. This was your first time on Feinbaum, right? It was. It was about damn okay. time. Um, but it was like, whoa, whatever, whoa, whoa, whoa. about damn time. Do you listen to Paul Feinbaum? No, God, no. But I knew like other people then, had been invited. Like what? You don't want any nerds on there? Come on. Um, so you did. So it's a show you don't listen to. It's a fan culture that we we more or less denounce on this program as well as other SP Nation content. Yep. And you had some secret butthurt that you were, hadn't been invited on. Anyway. I didn't realize it until I got the offer, I got the email, and then I thought, you know what? It is about damn time, isn't it? Um, was it everything you dreamed it to be? It was fine. I mean, it was half about yeah, it's all fine. It. It's a fine experience. Yeah. It doesn't really yeah. mean much. The funny thing about it is, like, there's this weird clout that it has that it also doesn't have. And which, like, when you go on the show, nothing really changes. It's not like you see a sudden spike in traffic at SB Nation for something that you write. It's not like more people notice on social media. It really is its own self-contained universe. And it's well, more you're about watching you, TV when it when it's on. Uh, you're, you're either in, watching a radio show on television in the middle right. of the day, which you know in, appeals to the most coveted of demographics. Right. Let me or tell you're you, in your car on your way home, and either one of those things, you're probably not going to to whip out the laptop or the phone or whatever and and say, "Oh, well, I want to see more about this these rankings, these computer rankings." I always kind of shrug it off, but then there's this, like, the couple times I've done it, there's this immediate passionate response from, like, friends of my in-laws, you know, people (laughs) people of a different age group that aren't as familiar with, like, the concept of what SPD, like, what a blog is, what a website is, what a podcast is. When you hit them in their traditional sort of media sweet spots, I mean, people freak out. Did you get, like, did you get, like, weird uh, grandparent phone calls? Well, not grandparents, but um, my wife posted, a, or I posted a picture my wife took of, you know, because of the screenshot with the headshot from my commission, <laughs> my commission photo shoot last year. Um, you know, we had that on the screen, and, and she took a picture of the six-year-old smirking with that in the background, and I just thought it was funny because there was a lot going on. Uh, and so then I posted on Facebook, and it gets like 70 likes or something like that, way more than the normal, hey, here's a dog sleeping picture that I normally post on Facebook. Um, so, but so there was, I think there wasn't like from the people. People from the friends and family in Oklahoma and all that, there was a little bit of, oh, whoa, wow, that's a big deal. And I was. Yeah, yeah, I love that reaction. Love you know, it. You can listen to me anytime you want on podcast ain't played nobody, but I was on Fine Bomb, therefore. Did you wait? Did you plug the show? Because I want to say that every that time. He plugged the book for me. And so I was kind of, that, that was a victory in and of itself, but I didn't get to circle back around and say, hey, by the way, or anything like that. ESPN's, very, oh, no, no, no. It's very tight. The producers kind of talk all over you in the breaks and like keep you on point. And. I haven't been on the show. I haven't been on Fine Bomb since podcast ain't played. Nobody was created. Um, mm-hmm. There's a decent conversation as to whether or not um, Bagman and a couple other articles got me yeah. got me blackballed by the SEC, <laughs> uh, which wouldn't shock me. Um, but they don't really give you a chance to get in there and like shout out the homies, so to speak. But right, I'm still a little disappointed that there was no PAPN discussion. Yeah, Do I was just I, Paul, I got the book. Do you think Paul Paul understands what a podcast is now? Right. I assume his show is presented in podcast form somewhere. Right. So probably, so he, yeah. so he kind of understands that idea. You think? 
Surely, surely in some way. It is a radio mm-hmm. show only. It's not on the radio. I mean, he's only the voice of college football, right? That's what right. he has been with leading no, and, and to circle back what I was going to say initially, like uh, he's, not, he's a nice guy. Like all the problems I have with, you know, the, the Feinbaum universe or whatever are, are mostly based around the idea that when, when ESPN paid him a boatload of money, they started mm-hmm. to think that they needed to use him in other ways. And, and when you end up with things like, for more on the, the emerging Jameis Winston scandal, we turn to college football analyst Paul Feinbaum <laughs> to blah, blah, blah. And that's when I start to, right. to well, they needed, they, you know, they need, they need takes. That's, right. that's sort of the new bite system. This is very media on media crime right now, but that's kind of, that's going to process and synthesize throughout their many platforms and that they can get out and distribute on their website and their, you know, right. mobile, all that junk rather than like an actual news report. So, you know, if you hire someone who built a culture of takes, then yeah, you're going to ask them for takes, um, <laughs> be they right or wrong or informed or not. Um, did you get into like the, uh, I didn't hear it. I would think I was traveling. Did you get into like the nitty gritty on like S and P plus? Well, uh, so they had, you know, they had a little screenshot of the, of the webpage, which is always funny on TV, um, of what the S and P plus projections. Um, was it an SB Nation post or a football yeah. outsiders post? No, it was, it was, it was, it was SBN. And so they had, yeah, they had SBN on there and they had, uh, the, just whatever the title was, uh, projected 130 team college football rankings from Ohio state to UTEP. Yeah. Um, and, and he had, they at least read the summary there where I talked about basing it on recruiting, returning production and recent history. And, uh, it was, it's funny because they talk about it before they bring you in. And so I was listening to him and whoever his like producer sidekick, whoever was filling uh, that role this guy named John, talking, I think. okay talking about it before i talked about it and and it was uh they did a pretty decent job i mean they were just it was it was whatever i had written just there but it's not like there's a very easy way to explain what i'm doing in these projections there's also a very complicated way if you want to actually know the numbers behind it but just the idea of returning production recruiting and recent history is not hard to explain and so we just went with that um and of course, he was asking about Harbaugh in Michigan uh, because that is a relatively common topic, I think. And I just said, you know, everything I said, what I said here, everything that we have talked about in 2017, Michigan land is based on them being really good in 2018. And so now they have to be really good. And and they're projected 10th. Um, they play like a ton of the top teams because the Big Ten East has four in the top 11 and the, and Wisconsin is 12th. They have five of the top 12 overall. And so their schedule is ridiculous. Um, but you know, it, it was, it was that it was a little bit Ohio state, a little bit Auburn and Georgia and you know, half Bama, half Bama. Yeah. At oh, most uh, 40, 40 to 50% Bama. Oh gosh. It's just amazing to me. And I know we've, we've stopped the show to talk about this, that someone <laughs> who is so renowned for the educated explanation that trumps the take would go on like college football's like takey takeiest cruddiest portion of the buffet. Did he get mad when you were just like <laughs> well, he, reasoned he, he and measured or like did did he, well, he was laughing about a statement? When he was just, when he was saying the name author of fifty best college football team of all time, guess what? They're all Alabama um, oh, or something God, to that effect. Oh, and, and he did his shtick on Bill. This is so terrible. I, I, I was fine with it because I mean, he was it was reason. I mean, it was basically he. You know, a lot of his callers. I'm I'm gathering are freaked out because Alabama barely won the national title and then didn't go. And then went out and didn't sign the top recruiting class. <clears throat> and so I basically said the. Um, you know, I guess I haven't written about this yet. I was about to say I'd written about this in the S and P post, but basically what I said was that when the, the Saban run is over, 
we will look back and we will see cracks like this. Like they barely got by a conference rival and then their recruiting slacked off a little bit. And that just, that, that set a little, you know, a downward trend towards nine and three mm-hmm. and, and then Saban retired. And that's, that's how it ends. But I said, they still have the number one class from like the last 38 years. And they were saved by a bunch of freshmen who will be sophomores this coming year. And then juniors the year after that, like if they were going to have an off recruiting class, and by the way, off for them is like sixth, uh, real tough, real, how, how are they ever going to survive? But if they, if this is their time, if they turn right back around and kind of pick it back up, at least get back into the top two next year, then they're going to freaking win a national title over the next two years with all those uh, young guys who are thriving. And then they'll have more great recruits after that. So, I mean, it's, there's, there's a chance that this was the first crack and there's a chance that it was no crack at all. And this is, this machine is going to roll right on and kill everybody for the next 10 years uh, in college football. So that was my, I that was fun. Like, like, I, 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 like I, I do a lot of, our I, show. I, I rarely say no to radio gigs just cause I kind of like to see if I can wade through the take universe, you know, like I like, okay, let me turn this into something reasonable. Um, and so I, 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 I will always accept that challenge. And I think that's a pretty reasonable take. I have to do, you, you really got to find me and force me at gunpoint to do radio. Um, Oh, Bill, let's top this, all, all this Alabama and Michigan talk feels funny it feels weird it doesn't feel right uh veered straight from coastal carolina to alabama without a, a misstep it's terrifying <clears throat> um so before we get into questions let's talk about that, that let's talk about the upper echelon of the sunbelt let's talk about the let's so, talk about the elites of the sunbelt well if we're talking about elite offense ulm is going to have an elite offense this coming year in the uh, sunbelt sunbelt elite um they had some shootouts. They're going to be the most fun team. They're going to be the, they're going to be carrying the fun belt mantle uh, because they are they they could have the best offense in the conference again this year. Uh, they, their defense might not be even a shred better, uh, but they're going to have a chance at you know Matt Viders what third year now that a good chance at six seven eight wins if they can at least improve to like. 115th on defense. Uh, they're they're going to have a chance to win a lot of games, and that's that's always fun for ULM. Um, what was so next? Like, Just, I, I got back for like like level of fun. I actually went to a family funeral on my wife's side over the weekend. It's fun, and, and I was kind of you know just kicking just sort of talking idly about college football with some people at the at the reception afterwards and the consensus on ULM was be, was really fun offense no idea what we're going to do on defense yes. hopefully we can shoot everybody out yes. but at least it's fun to watch again. yes whereas uh, they had such wild inconsistency and high highs low lows with Todd Berry that at least now it looks like they're they're sort of inarguably bad and started started very bad in particular positions and like groups but they can see consistent progress in the right direction whereas it was just wildly the, the variables were so crazy when Todd Berry was the coach there that mm-hmm. we always just assumed that it was so contingent on immediately like what talent you could cobble together year by year and how that would reflect that there was no there was no base it was right. i guess statistically like a program like ULM that's broke as hell that kind of has to pull it out of its own ass in recruiting every year and just get what they can and then how creative can you get with these odd parts it probably like plays a little havoc with, you know, statistical models because you can't really predict it. Right. I mean, it was kind of I think their numbers were a little bit skewed, probably a little too good on offense and a little too bad on defense, kind of the OU effect in a way. 
They ended up 17th on offense and 129th in defense last year. And that probably should have been a little more uh, regulated, I guess. But regardless, uh, I say but regardless a lot. Uh, Caleb Evans, you know, throws for almost 3,000 yards uh, despite missing a little bit of time here and there. Uh, they have a bunch of receivers, and almost all of them are back. This dude, Marcus Green, like I said, everybody in the conference has a star receiver. Marcus Green had 55 catches for, for 850 yards last year. Uh, are, like, they just have a bunch of guys and almost everybody returns in the receiving core all but one starting lineman returns uh, a lot of guys return on defense too the, including a couple from injury we'll see if that's actually a good thing or not but i mean hey uh, look if you're if you are going to be limited from a talent perspective why not put it all on one side of the ball uh, and give yourself a fighting chance at like basically defining how the game plays out uh, and then do it. And, and then, you know, man- maneuver wade through those waters. And that's basically what ULM does. They're going to play in a bunch of shootouts. If they win at least like 50% of them, they get to bowl again, probably. And that's, that's awesome. That's always going to be an amazing accomplishment. Uh, I got a question for you. Yes. Um, Mike Leach talked about this famously. It's in his book. Um, some coaches will cop to it privately. If you're in a situation where you're limited against the median or if you're lower than the median, the norm in your conference or whatever, mm-hmm. and you're kind of doing something different, you're going to front load all your all your talent to one side of the ball. It's almost always offense, right? Like Leach right. puts his best players on offense. Would it be would it be possible? Would it be possible if you did this in the G5 and you just front loaded if you took the best players on your team year after year after year and just built defense out? I don't think it would be possible. Not well, if you're talking about doing that and then like winning 11 games or something, that would be awfully tricky. Um, That's what I'm saying. Like in order to it, you can go all in on one side of the ball. If that one side of the ball is offense, otherwise you can't. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, I would say yeah, you can certainly, I mean, if you find the right guys, I mean, you can, Kent state is a good example of a team that, that won big once, uh, but was pretty competitive for a few years. there with very good defenses and absolute nothing on offense. It was kind of, I mean, they were the, the kind of the bizarro ULM here. Um, but it, it is like, there's power in just defining your identity saying, here's what we're going to do. Here's what we're going to, here's how we're going to define and figure out how to have an advantage. Here's how we're going to try to win games and then go do it. And if that's just basically scoring a ton of points and then just blitzing like crazy, getting burned a whole bunch, but trying to pick off two passes and force a fumble up per game at, you know, maybe that's, maybe that's the way to go. It seems to be what he's doing here and, and God bless him for it. All right. South Alabama. Next. Sell it. South Alabama. I just love when teams are different um, and and weird and they go against my numbers. And the fact that South Alabama last year, uh, the last few years, so last year alone, they beat Troy, handed Troy uh, its only conference loss, beat Arkansas State, handed Arkansas State its only conference loss that wasn't Detroit, I believe. Um, lost badly to to Georgia Southern 52 to nothing to Georgia Southern the week after beating Arkansas State um that's that's awesome <laughs> that's just fun and then last year they they beat they beat San Diego State two years in a row uh but you know also lost to foreign aid ULM uh got whooped by Air Force in their bowl game the year before that they uh it was the same deal beat South uh, San Diego State lose to Texas State by 18 uh they're flaky as hell and um and it it was they, it was proof that they could be very competitive but Joey Jones kind of stepped aside I guess and uh now they went after what his name Steve Campbell, the Central Arkansas coach, who's done very, very, very good things at Central Arkansas. 
Um, and, and now he gets tasked with basically, Hey, do that part where you beat the good teams, but stop losing to the bad teams. Okay. Go team. I said, sell me on it. That was a pretty good sell. They're weird. They're unique. They had the worst, uh, run game in, uh, FBS, but still managed to beat Troy and Arkansas state. That's, you know, something. Okay. All right. New coach. <laughs> we're trying to add a little sizzle to the top end of the Sun Belt. And I don't feel like we're doing a good enough job right now. I mean, well, we're, this is a conference that more than likely needs to build depth and recognizable programs. It's not as it's not as plug and play and almost, you know, it like the Mac is shuffle mode almost, right? With the exception of like Toledo, Toledo, maybe WMU. Like right. there are a few teams that are more likely to be good, but everybody can be good or everybody can be bad. Yeah. Barring like a Buffalo type situation, UMass when they were there, like mm-hmm. you could pretty much tell me in three years, program whatever from the MAC is going to win ten games, eleven games, win the conference championship, and then lose eleven games the next year. <laughs> you don't get that kind of fluidity in the Sun Belt. No, it, there's potential for it because they are all fighting for the same guys. They basically have the same recruiting classes. But right now, especially Troy, Arkansas State, and Appalachian State are just a step ahead, a couple, a few steps ahead, uh, maybe slightly less ahead this year. But they just um, whether that's a program management thing. I do Arkansas State. However you go about it, they have supported their program and built the infrastructure well enough to survive a bunch of, of right. you know a bunch of coaching changes. Uh, and Troy just made a you know a, had sustained not really they were really flaky over the last five ten years under Larry. Blakeney, but they had their high moments. Neil Brown came in and has just pressed so many right buttons. He hired good coordinators and kept them. And he's still there uh, right now, which is and he's still there. So they, yeah, that's. Um, I don't want to ignore Georgia State, but we'll skip to Troy for a second, just because like it, it hadn't really hit uh, clicked with me just how much this last coaching cycle ignored good G five coaches. Uh, I just hadn't really thought about it because you know the the names float around for every job and all that, but in the end. Uh, Scott Frost went from UCF to Nebraska. Mm-hmm. Chad Morris went from SMU to Arkansas. Right. And that's it. American that's it. Conference. I think that's the right. Those jobs right. are being looked at now as, as the, I mean, that's the springboard. That's the cradle of coaches. We joke about it and you know, we're in the back for that conference, whatever, but those programs are developing coaches at, at just a, a minor junior level underneath the power five. I don't know if coaches from the Sun Belt maybe even from the Mac now, which is really weird because they've, the Mac coaches have always been held in high esteem, you know, amongst athletic directors in the P five, but those AAC coaches are sucking up all the limelight. I mean, it's why Charlie strong went to South Florida. He could spend a couple of years there, get back in it. It's why Tom Herman went to Houston. You know, it's why it's it's great news. It's great news for Troy Appalachian state and Arkansas state because they've all kept their successful coaches for a while now. And, um, and maybe that's why we're not seeing that kind of that cyclical thing. Like I, um, I will say this real fast though. There's a fear developing. I don't know if it's justified or not that you get into a Mark Hudspeth type situation in which the perceptions never there, the moments never right. And then you almost just sort of peter out over a, you know, a decade span at a Sunbelt school. Cause eventually in the Sunbelt, yeah. you're going to hit a bump. In, in the Troy preview, I called it the Gary Darnell effect. Cause he was mentioned for like every job from Western Michigan there in the late nineties, early two thousands. Cause I'm old. Um, I should have just said the Mark Hudspeth effect, but um but yeah, I mean, he he was mentioned for a ton of jobs. Oklahoma State, I think Missouri for a minute before Gary Pinkle yeah. took it. Rick um, and just a too. lot of jobs. Uh, Rick Stockstall at MTSU. Oh another yeah, one. yeah. Um, but yeah, like his moment passed, and then the 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 job of keeping this. 
parity have or trying to stay above the rest in a parity heavy league. Uh, he just lost a step and, and started losing a ton of games and there, his window just closed. And so if you're Neil Brown, you do have to worry about that a little bit, but um, the, what he has built, uh, the depth that he has, you know, the, he, he's taken in a couple transfers here and there, not as many as Blake Anderson at Arkansas state. Um, but what they did that I found really interesting last year, they played a metric crap ton of guys. Um, like they lose their top, their top three tacklers on the defensive line. They have five or four other guys who made at least nine and a half tackles. They, like the number of defensive backs who got, let's see, there were, um, uh, 13 guys who had at least nine and a half tackles in the secondary, but tons of guys caught passes, tons of guys carried the ball. Like they did a really nice job of rotating. And so now like they lose their starting quarterback, but they have 2016's backup and 2017's backup uh, because the 2016 guy redshirted last year, they lose their top two rushers, but the third one was maybe better. Uh, they just, they've done a nice job of basically building continuity. That's not supposed to exist. And um, that's going to be a big thing for them. Obviously. All right. We got to hustle because we got to finish the, uh, the sun. Belt. Yeah. Seriously, we're not, another we're not another back SPAPN. Yeah, let's go. Uh, so South or Georgia state real fast. Um, love his hires, love what he's doing. Uh, love that they were able to eke out a bowl bid in his first year. That's very good progress. They're probably not going to be all that great this year. They do, uh, lose a lot of guys too. And they didn't really have a chance to build out all the depth. They lose Connor Manning, their quarterback. Uh, they lose their top three, uh, two running backs, although neither was any good or was very successful. So maybe that's not a big deal. Um, and on defense, they lose uh, a couple of key names in the secondary. They're just that probably don't have the depth to, to withstand all that. They're going to have Penny Hart, a, a good receiver who's uh, who had 1,100 yards last year. They bring in a Florida transfer in Cameron Knight, ten, uh, tight end, and a South Carolina transfer, Christian Owens, a receiver. They're going to have a very good receiving core if they have a quarterback. The running game will probably still stink. They're probably just a year away. from. I, I think 2019 is going to be a really cool year because he's recruiting well. Um, so I just punt on that one. They're, they've got a lot of good things going for them, but this year is probably not their year to do it. Next. Arkansas State. Arkansas State. Um, this is the team where that you know occasionally when I'm writing a preview, I start realizing, man, I am talking myself way into this team because I knew they lost. Uh, they also lost their top three defensive linemen, including D Liner, the old Alabama guy, uh, Javon Rollin Jones, one of the best uh, defenders in the conference. They lose basically every cornerback, which is a little bit of an issue. Um, but that's almost literally it. Uh, Justice Hanson, the quarterback, the old OU uh, transfer, is back. Uh, really fun receivers. They're receiving core is going to go six, 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 five, six, three, six, three, six, five <laughs> in the Sun Belt. That seems like a bit much for people to handle. One of those guys is Dahu Green, a, an Oklahoma transfer, uh, former four, uh, high three-star guy. They got a high three-star former A&M transfer uh, who was at last chance U last year. He's going to be their slot receiver, Kirk Merritt. Um, they have one of the best linemen in the league at right ta- at tackle. Um, basically, if they have cornerbacks, they're gonna, they have a very good chance of going about 11 and one because they're going to be favored in every single game. But Alabama, they do have to be sacrificed to Alabama. But they uh, they've got the schedule. They avoid Troy. They get Appalachian State at home. Uh, this is the year they've been blowing a ton of close games. It's held them back even as they go like twenty one and three over three years in in uh, conference play. Uh, this is the year for them to play their close game cards because they really could go eleven and one, and that'd be uh, no matter what conference you're talking about, that would be a crazy accomplishment considering all the potential parity involved. Next. 
Appalachian State's tomorrow, so I don't have fully formed thoughts on them, but basically the, the early thoughts are, are they are experienced at running back. They got Jalen Moore back. Uh, they are experienced in the receiving core and that they had a complete and total reset at receiver last year, and now they've got a ton of sophomore receivers who uh, got their feet wet on a good team. Uh, they're going to have – uh, you know, they're going to lose, they lose three linebackers, uh, three starting linebackers, and that could be an issue. They lose their defensive coordinator, basically defensive coordinator and quarterback Taylor lamb are their, their big losses. Um, and maybe that's enough to push them behind Troy and Arkansas state. Uh, but they, the, Scott Satterfield's doing a hell of a job. And, um, it seems like their system is in place here and they've got a couple of good, at least a couple of good running backs, uh, that they should be able to withstand. You know, Taylor lamb was good, but he was, more of the quote unquote game manager mold and that at the, at worst, like you want one of those, but at worst, those are easy to replace than like the big five-star upside guys. So, um, they, I, I'm going to right now, before I write their preview, I'm going to guess that I end up having them third in the conference, but tw- behind the other two, but they're still going to be good. And then Boom. what conference are we jumping into the following week? Just so people know kind of roughly what we'll be talking about on Monday after the Sunbelt power rankings, I will have the big UTEP preview. Um, so we look forward to that conference USA is next. Uh, so next week will be UTEP rice and Charlotte, uh, and old dominion and FIU. And by the way, uh, before we forget, I believe we are recording Tuesday next week because, uh, right. Like Tuesday morning. Wasn't um, that the idea? Oh, wait. Yeah. Cause of meetings, right. That's right. We're actually going to be in the same yeah, yeah, city. Yeah. 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 We're going to be in the same city That's on next Wednesday week. and Thursday. I totally forgot about that. But I don't know if we can actually pull off a no, no, no. Wait, hold on. That's two weeks away. That's what I thought. Okay. Okay. Never mind. Never mind. I'm a week ahead. I'm going to Boston next week and then DC. False alarm. Uh, but yes, yeah, so a couple of weeks. podcast content today. We, uh, this is what happens when we do instead of a tiny modicum of po- uh, prep, no prep. Yeah, this, um, is a, this is a rushed one this week. Speaking of, we got to rush through some SPAPN. Yes. Um, here's my own ask PAPN since I did cut in line and I just mentioned UTEP. I was just going to mention this real quick. This might be a bigger topic for later, but a friend of ours, a friend of the show earlier this morning, sent me a screenshot uh, at Jay Schnauzer. Uh, he, he had to run the protra- protractor on Google Earth to assure us to, to verify that El Paso is indeed closer to San Diego than it is Houston. We mentioned that last week. Yeah, um, that's like a and it known is, thing. Yeah. Yeah, so it, it, that is uh, that is a thing, and, and and it's basically you know as we always say, it's they're in Texas, so they get no benefit from being in Texas. Right. Uh, but here's my question for you, and this is something we might revisit. So you have no natural recruiting base. Base your recruiting base is El Paso, and I guess sort of West Texas, even though that's pretty damn far away too. Right. The NCAA just uh, announced that it's going to make it basically pave the road, make it a little easier for Mexican teams to join the NCAA. Yes. Would that also make it easier for the, the, the hot spots that do exist in Mexico? Obviously, we're not talking about something ma- some massive uh, buildup of football athletes. But would that make it easier to go in the other direction and say, if you're UTEP, if you're Dana Demel or whoever replaces him in a few years, um, to start looking in, in like Monterey and some of the quote-unquote hot spots and try to recruit Mexican athletes to, to UTEP? Um, it's funny because this does tie into one question. This is definitely going to be a bigger topic for a, a, a longer period of time that we can address this. But um, uh, at our Mark Miller Jr. asks, what impact would drastic restrictions on immigration have on college football 15 to 25 oh, years? I, I completely missed that question. That was earlier today, too. Boom. Um, so, you know, two sides of the same coin there. Um, 
Should you start recruiting in Mexico? Uh, UTEP already does recruit in Mexico. They have brought in players before. Um, they had a feature story. I want to say, I want to say Lindsay Schnell, formerly of SI, did a feature story on a player like, that oh. they had from like four or five hours away in Mexico that came. Right, to it was UTEP. like a guy though, because um, had like a kicker too. But right, but they look, they they do look. Um, just you know, I guess the so the answer to this question is how much. What's what's the level of commitment? What are you looking for? Are you are you starting as Mexico as your recruiting base? Obviously, you don't want to do that. You right, still yeah. have to go through American high schools where the development of players is going to be at a higher caliber. That's going to happen probably for the at least the duration of our you know 10, 20, 25 years. I don't think Mexican athletes are going to be able to catch up with a sport like American football that fast because of the equipment that's involved, because of the body size, the body type. I do think that proliferation of of athletes from a different culture. Uh, of a different race, uh, all of those things will always impact how the sport gets played. And I think that if you want to innovate or even just iterate a little bit, I think there's potential there in Mexico. But right. do, you, I mean, do you make wholesale changes tomorrow? No. Is it something you right, keep no. a big eye on? Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I, the way I'm envisioning it is like the, is is the studs, like the absolute stars, like not like, hey, we're going to sign eight guys per year from Mexico. That's our recruiting plan moving forward. But maybe one, maybe one or two and really try to load up on because, I mean, in theory, if you get a star and he turns out to actually be like really good, um, then that the barriers there that break that potentially get broken down are very, very interesting. So this is one of those things where I don't know. That's probably not like a the cost involved probably makes it not a very viable plan, but I want it to happen just because I want to see what happens. Um, so that, that was kind of an interesting thought as far as his question or Mark Miller, drastic restrictions on immigration. I mean, it really, uh, unless Australia, the Australian punter pipeline is, is dried up. Yeah. I don't think, I don't think you see anything really, for this, for the, in the right, short term. It doesn't really least. impact an Amer- like the a sport this American. Yeah. Uh, I, I would, I love, I would love for it to be less, uh, to be more international, but it's not. So, uh, at um, Brent Mori one says, how bad would it be for K state and KU of Wichita state added football program, added a football program, even if they were just FCS, it wouldn't be that bad at all. Um, I think Kansas has its own set of problems that aren't really necessarily defined by the state that they're in or what the talent in the state of Kansas is doing. It, it goes much bigger and deeper than that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then K-State, as we know, operates almost sort of unto itself. Um, if, a, it if a new FBS program came in and modeled itself after K-State in the same region and or the same state and and worked the junior college ranks and the Italian evaluation systems in the same way that K-State did, you might have a problem there. But you're also K-State. You have a huge head start and a lot of consistency. So I don't think it would be a huge I, problem. I would say it could very much hurt K-State's walk-on program, which... Um, it's possible. I mean, long, long term, if that means you invest more in recruiting, then maybe that turns out to not be a terrible thing. Right. But, uh, you know, if there are just if there are scholarships available to play for those like middle of Kansas guys, uh, a lot of them would, you know, especially while Bill Snyder's still there, a lot of them would probably still strive to play for Kansas State no matter what. But if scholarships available, that's going to siphon off a few because they're going to say, oh, hey, <laughs> why, why why pay my way at Kansas State if I can go FCS or whatever it ends up being, uh, if I can if I can get a, a scholarship to play for which state that sounds like a pretty good deal yeah um i wouldn't worry too much you're k-state you're, you're kind of immune to a lot of things <laughs> you have an excellent immune good system good and bad good, yeah. good and bad uh you have an excellent immune system okay side out par asks in your experience what percentage of coaches see the media as a means of communicating with fans 
I thought Jim Mora could have bought himself another year if he hadn't been such a condescending chap ass. I like that. <laughs> nice. I've never heard of that. Nice. I like that with the local press. What does savvy media management look like from a coach? Ooh, it's a good question. Um, yeah, Mora was especially bad and especially combative. Never, you know, really could not separate himself from his natural disposition of being condescending and aggressive. And, and <laughs> yeah. I mean, he was like that at every stop, NFL or college. So it didn't shock me that he couldn't rein that back in. Um, I think a lot of good coaches have learned how to play the media and how to develop relationships in the media to exercise benefit of the doubt. Um when you get to a big level though, it's hard to engender much sympathy just, just in the means in which you, you carry yourself in an interview. So it right. helps a little, it's not, it's not going to save you if you go on a three or four game losing streak. I'll put it that way. Right. It, like it can make the difference in like, I don't know, a win or two. Uh, you know, if you're nicer, maybe you get that little bit more, but in the end they just didn't win these, these last couple of years, especially, but it, it was frustrating. Cause like, uh, I don't remember where I read this, but there was a story like just uh, about like, you know, Josh Rosen just basically coming over to Moore's house. And they just sit on the sofa, watch football and talk about it and, and the, the intricacies of the game and whatnot. And it made it sound like they were friends right. and, and good. Um, yeah. They worked well together. Like that always frustrates me because why didn't we hear about that while it was happening? Why did we only get the condescending Jim Mora uh, who makes things harder on himself? So when a microphone's in front of his face, some guys just aren't, built for that and i understand um, i think it's a lot of a lot of factors in ucla's case it's the market the, the the character of the coach involved and the interest the natural interest to begin with from the media in, in los angeles and that they are not looking to pad a year-long college football news cycle the way a lot of other programs are you know it's just it's la there's a lot going on so maybe right. people didn't want that much from jim mora and he wasn't willing to give any of it to begin with so it doesn't really matter um all right, we're going to move on. Project, um, sorry, this is from uh, Derek Johnson, 05. Project Scott Frost's offense versus Wisconsin and Iowa's defense defenses. After three years, who is getting the better of who? Uh, are the Stanford versus Oregon games from 2011 <laughs> to 15 a template? Thank you. I mean, it's not a terrible template. Um, the best thing you I can ask the, for. The, right, the best. Uh, the, it's a good template, too, in that um, Stanford got the best of Oregon and Oregon got the best of Stanford. It comes, you know, it's whoever runs your system better. Um, I, I, you know, honestly, like this is maybe just a put up or shut up thing for me, but I have been saying for a while that Nebraska just needs to make a really good hire to to get back a lot of what they've lost. I think they just made a great hire, and I think he's going to have the pieces to run a pretty killer offense. Now, defense. We have no idea what he's going to do on that side of the ball because, I mean, he benefited significantly from what he inherited um, from from George O'Leary and, and honestly, offensively, too, to a certain degree. Um, and so, you know, he does not <laughs> – what he inherited from the 0-12 UCF team defensively, better than what he's inheriting from Nebraska at the moment. Um, they, they were, uh, listless defensively and they've got a lot of, of rebuilding work to do on that side of the ball. So we'll see if he, how, how high he's, he's able to lift the whole thing. He's going to have a really good offense soon, probably not this year, but you know, give him a mulligan year like UCF and he'll probably have things going. And then it's just a matter of who's doing it better. Like if, if Iowa is a top 30 caliber team, then they're going to have, they're going to be able to hold their own. But if they're only like top 50 Iowa, then they're probably going to lose. So uh, I would assume that that frost easily within about three years has a top 25, 30 level team at least. 
so, I mean, you want to, you know, styles make fights and that's a really fun fight to watch, but I mean, who's getting the better of whom just depends on who's better. All right. Last question. Cause I'm literally getting kicked out of the studio. You ready? Yes. <clears throat> ben DeWalt seven is the fact people seem to understand Notre Dame wanting wins back. The NCAA can't actually take away, but don't understand UCF claiming a national championship when they went undefeated is Peak, U- peak CFB. It's a very strange sentence structure right. there, Ben, but I get what you're saying. Um, yeah, it's all made up. Do what you want. Um, I had yeah. fun at Notre Dame, as was as, as I am wont to do. Um, welcome to the party. The NCAA is ridiculous. They're contradictory. They make it up as they go. They can't really find a way to consistently justify their existence, so they come up with these hackneyed schemes and investigations and rules and revisions of rules when – in actuality, they're only really worth the the stock that we put in them as the membership, yep. uh, you know, as the alumni, fans, players, media, et cetera. Like you could sort of look at them tomorrow and say, you know, you're not real. You're a monster under the bed. Go away. So and I welcome really, Notre Dame. I hope that maybe it's Notre Dame. I hope between Notre Dame uh, and and the basketball scandal that is currently unfolding, I really do hope we just get to the point where there's so much negativity and not not of the "you punish my school, you suck" kind of variety, but just the legit the a legitimate argument about why do we do things this way? Why are these rules in place? Um, and and it allows us to actually move forward. Not going to happen, I understand, but until it doesn't happen, I'm going to pretend it can. Um, and and that the actual change can happen. I just I don't know. It, it is funny though. I mean, you've got Notre Dame now, uh, you know, questioning the legitimacy to whatever degree. And that's that's a completely different deal than UCF. And that's uh, both are awesome, I guess. Bill, abbreviated, weird, awkward, off the cuff. That's about normal. Um, So once again, you can reach Bill at SBN SBN underscore Bill C. You can reach myself at 38 Godfrey. We'll be back next week. Um, We'll put a cap on the Sun Belt. We'll do some more questions. And we'll we'll wade into the wonderful world of the CUSA. Kind of a question mark there. Yeah, yeah, we got we got a backlog of questions that we can't let grow any bigger. So we'll answer a bunch bunch of questions next week.